And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. No one dared ask him any more questions. I wonder why. The leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and now a scribe, had each in turn challenged Jesus. The questions posed by the Pharisees and Sadducees were intended to stump Jesus. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Is there a resurrection? In this week's gospel passage, we have a scribe. He too is asking a question. But unlike the Pharisees and Sadducees, I think this man has better motive. He asks a very simple question, the answer to which almost every Jew should have known. What is the greatest commandment? Of course, of course we all know Jesus' answer. We rehearse it almost every week at the beginning of our liturgy, don't we? It's the great Shema. The great hear, O Israel. Now the scribe, satisfied with Jesus' answer, commends Jesus. And he, in turn, commend, is commended by Jesus. Which, by the way, is extremely rare. Religious leaders simply do not get positive press in the Gospels. <laughs> you are not far from the kingdom of God. This morning I want to ask, how far are you from the kingdom of God? Now that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Put in the context of today's Old Testament passage, where are you in your relationship to God? Let me put it another way. What do you desire the most? Who do you love above all others? Deuteronomy chapter 6 shows us that the path to the kingdom of God, to the promised land, is walked, is lived out by exclusive love for Yahweh, God's name, as revealed in the Old Testament. One must love Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Now, this is not a philosophical or even a religious principle. This love is a love displayed by our desire for God. It is to love God exclusively at the expense of all others. And this exclusive love will be evident, will be on display for all to see. So let me set the context here. Where is Israel? Where are the children of God at this point in the biblical narrative? Well, they're standing on the edge of the promised land. Moses is giving his final instructions before they cross over the Jordan. Physically, they are not far from the kingdom of God. In the opening chapters, Moses reminds them that the previous generation, the people whom God rescued from Egypt, the people who witnessed the mighty acts of God, that generation was not far from the kingdom of God, were they? 
They too stood on the edge of the promised land, but they blew it, didn't they? They refused to enter. They feared the giants in the land more than they feared Yahweh, their God. And they died in the wilderness. The question is, what can this generation do? What can we do to avoid such a fate? Moses cries out, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. The great God who revealed himself and his name to Moses from the burning bush demands exclusivity. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Now I want to dig into this sentence a sentence whose syntax and vocabulary lends itself to multiple interpretation. It won't be boring, I promise. Traditionally, it is translated, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now in Hebrew, except for the imperative, Hear, O Israel, this is a verbalist sentence. Literally, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. One must supply the verb. In this case, the verb is. Now, of course, this decision is based upon the context and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in addition to this, the word traditionally translated one has a range of meaning extending from the number one to the idea of exclusivity rendered by the word alone. So what is the context of which I speak? What is Moses driving at here? What was the sin, let me ask, what was the sin that so easily enticed Israel throughout her history? Other gods. Where was Israel about to go? Into the promised land. Who was there? The Canaanites. Who did they worship? Other gods. Remember Baal, Asherah, all these naughty gods that Israel worshiped? Remember how easily they strayed from Yahweh? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Now don't get me wrong. The idea of oneness is certainly there. Indeed, the church fathers picked up on this and they saw Trinity. The rabbis picked up on this and they saw monotheism. So please do not tell fathers Chris and Charles that Gresser is denying monotheism or the Trinity. I think in this passage, the matter at hand is our heart's desire. To whom are we directing our desire? Are we exclusive in our worship, in our love? You see, this passage is less a philosophical statement about the nature of God than it is a plea to love Yahweh exclusively, him and him alone. Moses continues, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now what does this mean? So what does it mean to love? This is not some sort of emotional ooey-gooey feeling, but it is a desire. It is a longing, and it manifests itself in behavior. So let me give you an ooey-gooey example. Remember your first love. Now, for some of you, it hasn't happened yet. For others, you really got to work hard at remembering. 
Now you meet this person and you fall in love, usually in junior high school. And what do you do? You spend every waking moment that you can with this person. Walk together to class. You talk, you know, you get out of gym class and she's waiting for you because, well, actually you'll be waiting for her because women take longer to dress. And you talk and you walk to the next class and you spend every moment you can. You maybe ride home in the bus you can. And you go to your each your separate houses. And as soon as you get home to your house, what do you do? Well, that's what I did. Or, <laughs> or you go, dit, 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 dit. or I, what do I do today? Like this. You, 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 you call them and you text them and you talk for hours. You can't get enough of this person. They're the sole object of your desire. It's kind of ooey gooey type love. But the desire is similar. Moses tells us to desire God only more. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, everything within you. Love him with your heart, not the physical organ, but your inner reason, your strength, your will. Love him with your soul, your breath, your being, your personality. Love him with your might. Word here, ma'od. Big deal. Well, well, this is a word, it's usually translated very, right? It's a superlative, very. And it indicates intensifying action. I'm very hungry, I'm very thirsty. Intensifying action. It's an odd way to use this word. With all your might. Love the Lord with all your might, with all your oomph. This is how we are to love God and only Him. We are to desire him exponentially more than any other person or thing. Well, do we do it? In other words, how far are we from the kingdom of God? Loving, desiring the Lord exclusively with all your oomph. It's not a suggestion. It's the only way to the kingdom of God. All else leads to death in the wilderness. The children of Israel needed to hear this because they were about to encounter other gods. Gods who would steal their desire. Thank goodness, of course, we don't have that problem. We don't believe in other gods. We're much too sophisticated for that. Are we? Exactly. <laughs> was not planned. I don't think we are. The battle for our desire is still there. Now, there's this commercial that I hate. I, I don't even understand it. Okay, it starts off with a woman in a bathing suit standing on a cliff from which she eventually dives into the water and then it goes crazy. Visual images flash from a woman putting on boots to a man eating what appears to be a dessert to two people kissing passionately. Over and over, I'm confronted with visceral images ending in a commercial about a car. A Genesis, to be precise. So, so what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. My desires are being inflamed and then directed toward this car. This car will fulfill all my desires, my most sensual desires. Fortunately, those images don't affect me. Or do they? It's a harmless commercial. Or is it?
See, advertisers, they get it. They know how to kindle desire, don't they? They understand that we are desiring creatures, aren't we? God made us that way. But he made us to desire him. Human beings are creatures designed to love. We're feeling beings. We have desires, and we love what we desire, don't we? Unfortunately, our flesh desires the world. That's why sex sells. It sells everything from lingerie to beer, from cars to Monday night football. And that's how Satan works. He doesn't appear with a pitchfork and the smell of sulfur. But he works on our desires, doesn't he? So how did he get to Adam and Eve? So when the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. What happened here? Satan stole their desire away from God and placed it upon themselves. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Hear, O church, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, and you shall love him with all your oomph. Beware of those things that steal your desire. We are not far from the kingdom of God. So let's go back to our friendly scribe. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. Not really, is it? In fact, it's impossible. Think about our liturgy. What do we pray after we hear the summary of the law at the beginning of the liturgy? Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. The framers of our liturgy and our own hearts tell us that our desires have been distorted by our flesh. Not this, this stuff, but their flesh. Our inclinations we inherited from our first parents. What does Paul say in Romans 7 about trying to keep the law? For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Of course, it is Jesus who has delivered Paul and will deliver those who trust in him and him alone. The scribe in today's gospel was not far from the kingdom of God. In a very real way, the kingdom of God, the very king himself, was standing right in front of him. That which his heart was created to desire was standing there before his eyes. God commands our exclusive love. He wants us to desire him and him alone. Once done, all our subordinate desires will fall into their proper place. Of course, we cannot do this without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit. We know that Christians are no longer under sin's dominion. Furthermore, we know that within us, the Bible says the Holy Spirit battles with our flesh, the world, and the devil. The internal struggle within you is real, isn't it? In fact, it's this struggle that proves the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Ah, but what are we supposed to do? What's our part? 
Listen to Moses' practical ideas for maintaining love for God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What are these? They are audible and physical reminders of our duty to desire God exclusively and above all else. In other words, word and sacrament. You've heard of that, right? Hearing, tasting, touching. We are to replace those things that the devil uses to divert our desire with those things that the Holy Spirit uses to increase our desire for God. This is the life of the church. This is why we study the scriptures. This is why we celebrate the liturgy, to place in our minds, to place in our hearts those things that are best for us. These things are so important. Do not forsake them. These are the things God has given us to increase our desire for him, to ward off the inordinate desires of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Indeed, my sisters and brothers, we are not far from the kingdom of God. Amen.